0: All right, and welcome into the DuckTerritory.com podcast. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel Hi, guys. Across the way. Uh, he's battling illness, so if we get some coughs, we, <coughs> <laughs> we apologize. But, uh yeah, it's about that time, Eric, where we, get, we get sick because it's constant working, six... Seven days a week. Right. Uh, I'm sure people who are listening aren't, aren't going to feel sorry
1: for us. No one, no one should, please don't feel sorry for us.
0: But yeah, it's about that time your B-rider gets sick about halfway through the football season. Uh, so I've got crosses and everything (laughs) away from you. Uh, but yeah, you're listening to the duckterritory.com podcast. If you're listening to us on the podcast, uh, and you want to interact with us live, just go to facebook.com slash Oregon 247. And when we do that, uh, we do those every, monday and also wednesday's thursdays we had to push it back today for for a, we're recording on a thursday but we typically like to get it out wednesday um around noon you, you can hop on and we do it there if you're listening to us on facebook live right now go ahead drop your comments your questions uh in the comments section we'll get to those uh throughout the show we try and, and go through those a couple times uh, a couple different times each show we do yeah. um so your your comments are greatly appreciated and Your questions are even more appreciated. Uh, And there's a lot to get to in this one. We're previewing Oregon uh, at home against undefeated number 11th ranked Washington State Cougars. Uh, Kickoff is set for 5 p.m. on Fox. So it's the second game, I believe, on the Fox network. Uh, This is another primetime game. This is – Fox is saying this is their game of the week Mm -hmm. Uh, for – for their broadcast of, of this football season, because they've got us covering a game that's in prime time uh, on the East Coast, eight p.m., and it's also kind of you know perfect spot I think for a college football game on the West Coast, five o'clock. Absolutely. Um, and this is a huge game um, for both purposes. You've got a Washington State team who is going into you know you go back to last season they had the Apple Cup. A game against the Huskies. I think the Huskies had one loss on the year. They were a a top five team in the country. Washington state, I believe, was trying to win their ninth game, uh, of the regular season, trying to get into that top ten-ish, uh, ranking, trying to contend for maybe a New Year's Day bowl, maybe, uh, you know, the, the, the Pac-12 second best bowl, and they got dominated. Right. Um, they got blown out at home and now, Going into this season, there was kind of some let's see how good this team is. Five games in a row. Uh, they knocked off USC, who was fifth in the country last Friday. So they've, they've got a little bit of extra time to prepare for Oregon. Oregon played Saturday. Washington State played Friday. Um, but this is a game where if the Cougars are as good as they talk and they think they are, they should win because they're a top 11 team. They've got an NFL quarterback. If you talk to Willie Taggart and the defensive coaches right. at Oregon, they've got Three really good running backs. They've got talent on uh, at the receiver position. Their offensive line is good, but then you know what typically is hindered Washington State is they've got great (coughs) offense, but they don't have good defense. And this year, Cougars are legit on D.
1: To me, this is a show me game for Washington State. Um, Eleventh in the country, undefeated. First game on the road. We should mention, by the way, they're very fortunate scheduling wise. The first five games, five straight games, which is pretty wild. but if, if they want to be taken seriously as a college football playoff contender, which I think obviously that's the goal for, for every major college program, this is their opportunity. You know, If you can't go on the road and lose to a team, although Oregon is talented, that is without their starting quarterback likely maybe missing a few other pieces, um, Washington State's looking to make a statement here that they're for real, that they, are, they should be taken seriously um, in that college football playoff picture. I think if they win this game, move to six and zero. There are some teams ahead of them that might beat each other up a little bit. They could start kind of really factoring into that picture, be in that top seven, eight. You know, maybe keep winning and they get into that playoff discussion. They get into that discussion where that Apple Cup could really be a, a play-in game for that college football playoff first. So, this is a huge game for them, I think, in terms of maintaining that momentum. And on the flip side, for Oregon, I mean, you can't diminish how important it is for them. I mean. Uh, Started off great, lost a game at Arizona State, you probably shouldn't have lost. Last week won, but it came at a great cost, losing Justin Herbert for, with a collarbone injury that we believe is, is gonna be out not for us. Not but, season ending, but pretty significant time missed. Um, a number of other players go down. Fortunately, with the exception of Kalana Apolu, doesn't appear like any of those injuries are as significant as, as Herbert's injury. But they, this is a game where you know they need to win this game. Yeah, there's this is a this is to me is a must win in terms of just keeping that momentum going. Whether or not I think it's likely that happens might be a different might be a different story. Uh, but I, I think this is this, this is just like for Washington State, this is a validation game for Oregon. Um, Willie Taggart trying to prove that he's kind of turned this program around. This is their to me really the first opportunity. With a face with some really strong adversity, you know, without your starting quarterback against a top 10, top 10, top 11 team. Let's see what I've got.
0: Yeah, and you've also got questions with this football team for Oregon outside of just Justin Herbert. Is Royce Freeman gonna play? Right. Is Nick Pickett gonna play? Uh, is Jacob Breland gonna play? Uh, Charles uh, Nelson? Charles Nelson, Dylan Mitchell. AJ Hodgkins. AJ there's Those are all starters. Those are all guys. Yeah. That had started week one. Um, those are all guys that were projected to start last week. Some of them didn't. Some of them got hurt in the games against California. Yeah. Uh, some of them, uh, <coughs> came back in practice. We saw Jacob Brilland, uh, participate in Tuesday's practice, kind of hit or miss, at least during the portions. Limited, that would Yeah, say. D- during the portions that were open for the media. But then on Wednesday at practice, uh, Rilland was full go from, from what I could tell. Um, we, we also saw Royce Freeman who was not, I don't think I even saw Royce Freeman Tuesday
1: at practice. I saw him walking with his pads. Did not see him participating in anything though. Yeah. He was not out there.
0: But then we saw him, I saw him full participation, uh, Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday morning. Uh, and during the 30 minutes that we were able to walk into football practice and observe, I mean, he was leading running back drills just as. We made mention last, you know, podcast recapping the Washington State game, um, how Taylor Alley was, you know, Tuesday was the guy leading quarterback drills. Wednesday it was Braxton Burmeister, um, and that's another question: Is Taylor Alley going to be healthy for this game? Because remember, he left with an injury mm-hmm. uh, against against California. It was uh, presumed to be a concussion, um, but it looks like he he is back now, at least. Uh, practicing for Oregon. And, and the question is going to become is it Burmeister because Burmeister is better or is it going to be Taylor Alley because Burmeister is not ready for that big stage? That's going to be a huge question going into this
1: one. Yeah. And I think if you're being honest, both of them – and the coaches have said this and they're similar players in that I don't think either of them right now are capable – Of winning you a football game with their arms, they're going to win the football game with their legs. They're both good athletes. I think Taylor Alley's athleticism gets kind of, you know, diminished, but he's a guy that can run. I mean, he's shown it, you know, throughout his career at Oregon. He's a pretty good athlete running the football. Braxton is on a different level even that way, but it'll be very interesting to see how they kind of operate this offense, regardless of who they start at quarterback, because neither guy gives you the downfield vertical passing threat that you had with Justin Herbert. But if both guys can kind of game manage it, keep Oregon in the game, don't make any stupid mistakes like we saw with Allie right before the half against Cal, which was a a really big costly error that ended up um, leading to Cal's first points of that game, then you give yourself a bit of a chance. I mean, and, and, and if you're able to do that offensively, make sure you don't turn over the ball, get the run game established. And then that defense is going to have to really step up because this Washington State offense as everybody knows is extremely, extremely dangerous and is capable of, of gaining you know upwards of 600 yards. I think. Anybody.
0: I think there's a big internal debate here, because um, I've seen this this kind of comment or this discussion thrown about where it's play Burmeister, he's the future. Taylor Alley is only going to play this season and then he graduates and moves on. Right. Get get the young guy ready. Well, under that assumption, that means you don't think your season. <laughs> there's much left to play for. You know, you're true. You're looking at it through a glass of we're getting ourselves better prepared for next season, where there's still a lot to play for. Yeah, Oregon, Oregon's four and one. That's not get that Oregon is four and one, and they are still in a position where they can win the Pac-12 North. Is it likely? Probably not, but. There's still that chance. There's still that probability that could happen where Oregon wins the Pac-12 North, gets into the Pac-12 championship game, and is competing for a Rose Bowl berth. You're still alive. And so the, the, the internal debate for Oregon, and I think the trap here, is don't fall into the let's play for the future because yeah. you got to play in this week what gives us the best opportunity. That's what Willie Taggart said uh, on Wednesday. He said that again on Monday. Uh, Marcus Arroyo, Oregon's quarterback coach and offensive coordinator, said that on Tuesday. We're going to play the guy that gives us the best chance to win. And that may be Burmeister. I I don't know. But to play Burmeister simply because he's the future, he's a guy that's going to be within the program for a couple of seasons, is hogwash. If if (laughs) Alley is 1% better than Burmeister, you play Alley because you want to have the best odds to win a game and keep
1: yourself in the hunt. I mean, my counter to that would be – is Burmeister really the future? I mean, presumably Justin Herbert returns this season, next season, obviously, and maybe a year after that. He's right. the future quarterback. It's not like Braxton Burmeister is, is the heir apparent to start for the next three years. Not to say he isn't going to be a good football player for Oregon, but I, I don't think you look at Braxton Burmeister and go, oh, we got to get him ready because this guy is going to be our starter for the next two years. You still have Justin Herbert presumably ready right. for this year, presumably for next year. So, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Um, we've already got questions down here asking us who we think is going to start for on Saturday, I mean, I don't, I don't think either of us know yet. Right. But um, it, it, it's, I think it'll be a game time decision. I think they've said as much. Pretty much. I, I, I mean,
0: Tiger's not. He he basically said it without saying it. They're not going to tip their hand. They're going to make Washington State prepare for both players. Yeah. You, know, you need to, you know, make Washington State waste as much time as you can in game prep. Um, by not naming a starter. And then, you know, it may get out Saturday morning. It may get out late Friday night. It may get out two hours before kickoff. Or we might find out when Oregon gets the ball for the first time and right. we see what quarterback comes out. Sure. Um, I'm sure the team will know before, <coughs> that, before that point. Yeah. Um, but early on in the week, I felt like it was Taylor Alley
1: mm-hmm.
0: from a hunch just
1: – If he was healthy.
0: If he was healthy, yeah. that's the guy that's that's going to play. But – you know, coaches, players. You know, they've said Burmeister's had good practices. Um, I I think it all comes down to how quickly can Burmeister get up to speed, and can they give him packages that bring him to the same level as Allie, mm-hmm. if, if not if not higher up. Um, I, I truly think it's 50-50 right now. I mean, I'm not trying to you know, talk out both sides of my mouth or, or hedge well, my I, bets. I, I, think,
1: I think that's the fair way to approach it because we don't, we don't know. We haven't right. heard one way or the other. And I will say, I think, going back to Burmeister, from my understanding, didn't get very many practice reps leading up to the Cal game. Right. They gave the majority of those reps to Herbert and the majority of those reps to Taylor Alley. And so to say Braxton would be prepared... Under those circumstances, no. This is his first week with like full practice reps, reps with the ones and twos. And really the way that Oregon operates in practice, that third quarterback, not getting a lot of opportunity to do anything besides, you know, warm up and throw the football. So this is, this is an opportunity this week for him to prove himself and probably the staff is now getting finally opportunity to really evaluate what they've got with him in terms of right now, can he help the team? And so I don't even think they necessarily know and they're probably still discussing and deliberating what they want to do. So he had no answers. From us right now, unfortunately, on that maybe Saturday before the game, we'll have some information. We do our Facebook live then. But. And, and when people
0: say it better not be Taylor Alley because he's awful, mm-hmm. like what are you basing that off of? I mean, we haven't seen much of Taylor Alley either. I mean, I'm not trying to say he's going to be lights out and is going to star, but we've seen limited situations of him, and when we typically have seen him play. It's he's played with second string or third string players and you know yeah. sometimes that can be hard for for you to throw your self, especially when you know the previous staff they didn't throw the football all that much when they when the clock got out and they put in, you know, their their backup quarterbacks. Um, you know, we saw him the first game against Southern Utah. And I think he went like what, what eight for eight for seventy yards. He threw. A, he ran for a touchdown. Um, <clears throat> so he looked decent at least against Southern Utah. And I'm not saying yeah those you know that defense and the Cougars are, are the same. You know the only real thing we've seen is he played as a sophomore in 2015 at Colorado on the road against this Jim Leavitt defense that Oregon fans are hyping up beyond and you know. Hype yeah. and complete love fest with Jim Jim Leavitt's defense. Well, Taylor Alley came in the second half and helped Oregon win a game at Colorado to keep their you know Pac twelve hopes of winning a you know, conference alive. Yeah, um, and that was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Who's who's you, know, you? People say he's good. He sucks. He's not. He's not good. <laughs> he's terrible. Play Burmeister. He's better. How do you know Burmeister's better? And how do you know Taylor Alley is terrible? I mean. You could argue that Terry Wilson and Travis Johnson, they transferred because Taylor Alley beat them, mm-hmm. not because you know not because of Herbert. Yeah, I'm sure the Herbert factor played you know some kind of a role, but those guys aren't stupid. They knew, hey, Herbert goes down, I'm number two, I'm gonna play. You know, there's probably a good chance Herbert might get hurt. Yeah. in one play, in one game, I might have to play. But, you know, if you're number two, you're not leaving. You're not leaving Oregon at that position, and. During the spring, you know, spring ball, Ter- I think Terry Wilson left very early, and that forced that forced Allie to go back to to playing receiver during the spring ball because he originally started at, at receiver. But once that transfer happened, once he moved back to quarterback, Travis Johnson left after the sec after the, the, the spring game, mm-hmm. probably because he knew Taylor Alley was going to be the backup
1: quarterback. Absolutely, and and one thing here, just I, I did a little. Number crunching yesterday, uh, and it posted this morning, I looked over the since the Pac-12 expanded in 2011, backup quarterbacks, how they fared in their first games. Backup quarterbacks have actually won 50% of their games they've played in their first games, have coming off of a quarterback being injured, and have a 40% win percentage overall. So it's not to say that one of these backup guys with Justin Herbert out can't win football games. Actually, Oregon actually is, I believe, 3-1 with backup quarterbacks that are coming off of injuries. Um, over the last seven years so I mean there's some history here that says that these guys go out and, and can compete and I think what you do have to be encouraged with and I think what we're going to focus on a little bit more here going forward on the podcast is just this Oregon defense if, if this Oregon defense is able to keep Washington State off the scoreboard who's to say Oregon can't compete and win especially with that run game which let's be let's be honest here Cal put eight, nine in the box, couldn't stop it. I mean, Oregon ran for 270 yards in the second half, and Cal knew full so well Taylor Alley wasn't throwing the football. I mean, th- that Cal staff knows better than most staffs because they've got so many, you know, Steve right. Greatwood worked on the same staff with Taylor Alley for four years. He knows that guy's not going to go out there and throw it 20 times a game. He knows what's coming. They, they couldn't stop him. And one
0: other note before we move on um, about Taylor Alley is, yeah, he struggled in the second quarter. Um and the offense was not good, but what were you expecting? Mm-hmm. Morgan just lost their most important player. I'm sure there was a little bit of a shock on the sideline. Taylor Alley hadn't really been, you know, fully prepared as a, as a starter uh, going into that game. And then go watch the difference between the second quarter and the third and fourth quarters. After <coughs> they had a chance to sit them down. Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is going on. You need to react this way. You know, in this situation, do this. Make some halftime adjustments. And like you said, they dominated in the second half. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, while a lot of it was handing off the football, it wasn't just dives. It was zone reads. You know, Taylor Alley making the correct reads and understanding when to tuck it and run. Um, so yeah, I, I think the offense looked drastically better than it did in the second quarter, uh, with Taylor Alley in the second half. But the question becomes who gives you the best opportunity to win today, not who gives you the best opportunity to win, uh, next week or down the road, or next season uh, for this Oregon football team. And I I look at this game, and I think it's a, a very winnable game for Oregon. As many questions as we have about Oregon's defense and the validity of them being elite, I think you could say just as much about this Cougar team. Yes, they beat a USC team at home on a Friday night, but we should also mention that USC had the ball late in the, in that game with an opportunity to either kick a field goal, to tie it, send it into overtime, or score a touchdown and walk away with a victory. Uh, and they were also doing it without three offensive starters. Um, their star quarterback had probably one of his worst games of his career. Um, and yet, through all of that, the Cougars were right then and there to win this game. And then you eliminate USC from from who Washington State has played They've played OSU, whose only win is against Portland State, and quite honestly, should have lost that game. Yeah,
1: one by three,
0: they won by three. They beat Nevada handedly. Nevada hasn't won a football game this year, uh, and then they beat Boise State in a game they quite honestly should have lost. Yeah, overtime. Uh And if if, if Washington State just didn't get incredibly lucky late, uh, they they walk out of that game with a loss. And and even Boise State is you, they're 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 not advanced stats, but. Just to give you kind of a picture of yards per <laughs> yards allowed per game defensively, the, the Cougars have beaten the 113th worst, the 111th worst, and the 101st worst best defense uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. And it's easy when you have a deep, a solid defense to look really, really good. Mm-hmm. Just as like what we're saying with, with Oregon, oh, who they played: Nebraska, Wyoming, Southern Utah, Cal. You know, Arizona State, none of those teams are, are really truly elite teams.
1: You can say just as much as this Washington State team. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Washington State has not really been tested. I mean, you, but with the exception of the USC game, kudos to them for winning that game. USC missing a lot of pieces. They haven't played a road game. I Mike Leach made some comments this week about Odson. I think probably not as harsh as people are making it. He said there are nine stadiums off the top of his head that are harder. He did say that Oregon had the toughest in the conference. Yeah, I mean, he was... Um, but but how does this Washington State team respond um, to adverse situations? They do have a veteran quarterback, and I think that's the big thing here that gives me a little bit of concern. Veteran quarterback, probably not going to make a lot of mistakes. This, I mean, for how much Washington State throws the football, Luke Falk does not turn the ball over. No. He's got like a 4-1... to one touchdown to interception ratio and they're throwing the ball 50 times a game
0: he's on track to throw the most touchdowns he's thrown in a single season the fewest interceptions he's thrown in a, in a yeah. single season his quarterback rating is 20 points higher than it's ever been uh in his three year in his four-year career uh this season as a senior his yards per attempt is up i think by a full two yards uh than the career high he had mm-hmm. going into the season his completion percentage is up
1: significantly. Like he's, he's just better. Yeah, he's and ESPN has him as the they're their fourth best player in terms of the Heisman race right now. So he is the elite of the elite right now in terms of production. Maybe not necessarily in arm strength and all that, but he's really good. And the hard thing here is that Oregon has done such a fantastic job pressuring the quarterback. I think they're fourth in the country with 20 sacks through five games. That's four a game, which is a great rate. They have a lot of tackles for loss. They have a lot of QB hurries. They're in the backfield a lot. The way Washington State operates, it's a lot of snap, throw the football. It's hard to disrupt a passing game that is very quick. Prim- primarily get the ball to the quarterback and have them throw it. So even if Oregon is able to get a good pass rush, Washington State may be able to, to negate that by just dumping it off underneath, by uh, having short, shallow crossing routes. I mean, there's going to they're, they're going to their goal is to negate that pass rush, and so it's it's. It's sort of unfortunate that that's the way that they approach it because of how Oregon has played defensively. With the same, at the same time, Oregon's secondary has played very well as well. And I think if Oregon is going to win this football game, it's going to have to be defensively and it's going to have to be forcing turnovers and having that offense take full advantage of those turnovers they, they take.
0: Yeah, this is a game that is going to be one in the trenches on both sides by Oregon. Offensively, Oregon's offensive line needs to play like they did against California, against a much better defense. Uh, they they need to be able to just smash and maul the Cougars up front. While the Cougars are very fast, they're very quick, they're very agile, they are up front, uh, for the most part, guy to guy. There's a couple guys that are pretty big. But for the most part, Oregon's going to have a, a serious size advantage here. Now, is that going to be negated because of the Cougars' size? That's kind of the question. The quickness of the yeah. Cougar defense,
1: that's kind of... <clears throat> The question going in offensively up front in that matchup. I, yeah, that, that, that's where Oregon has the advantage here. Um, Hercules Mateafa is leading the conference and tackles for Blue Blue Tiger called him a war dog? I like that. <laughs> I haven't heard that. I like that. He, but he only weighs two hundred fifty pounds. Their other end, I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. I think he's Nigerian. Nnamdi Osiyahu. He's two hundred thirty pounds. Their ends are very small for even even at the pack. You know, at the pack level, they have very small ends. And so if Oregon should be able to, to, to win the battle up front and, and, and I think that gives them some hope there. If they can establish the run game, you don't need five, to the football five six minute drives for scores. Stop Washington State from getting the ball as frequently. That's their, I think, recipe for victory is is kind of playing smash mouth. Big 10 or SEC football leaning on the run game and leaning on the defense which is so which is so interesting because it's so opposite it's, of what Oregon has done for like a decade and a half now.
0: I mean it's 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 completely opposite of what we said going into this year. Right. When we said they could beat Washington State, they could, you know, if they're going to have a chance to beat Stanford, if they're going to have a chance to beat Washington, they're going to need to win these shootouts because their defense probably isn't going to be able to contain these offenses. Uh, under 35 points, under 40 points. Oregon's gonna need to win a game 56 to 50 or, or something of that nature. Some, some obscene number where the over goes over 100 points combined. <coughs> right. Um, now it, it's. I think <coughs> your confidence in, in Oregon's offense being able to score 56 points or 45 points—I yeah. uh, think they're averaging 49 point, like eight points a game. Number one offense in the country. I know for points per <laughs> game.
1: Uh, and we talk all about the defense. Uh,
0: your, your confidence of, of, of Oregon reaching that number again is very, very low. I, I would be pretty shocked if they scored 49 points against Washington State. But on the other end, it's kind of flipped defensively too, where. At least through the first five games, you're feeling pretty good about this Oregon defense. Yeah, they've got they've got their warts. They've, they've got their deficiencies. We know that, uh, but statistically, they're second in the country in tackles for loss. I think they're second in the country for sacks. They're first in the country in passes defended. Uh, I think they're top eleven in, in third down con, uh, conversions allowed on defense. Uh, they've, they've got guys. Who have over four tackles for loss? Like four or five of those guys. With you know, it's not just one player who's making all these plays. Hollins and Dyer second <laughs> second in the conference with seven tackles for loss. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, Troy Dye is Troy Dye. He, he, we said at the beginning of the year he's going to become an All American candidate. It might not be this year. It probably will be more likely next season. But he is a star. He's one of the back twelve best individual defensive players uh, in, in the league this season. But like you said, Jalen Jokes is an absolute terror off the edge the last two weeks. Uh, Jonah Moy and Justin Hollins have really stepped up their games on the outside uh, outside linebacker. And then a guy who statistically doesn't get any credit, but Willie Taggart said is, is playing phenomenal football, and him and Jokes have elevated this defense, is Henry Mondu. I think Mondu has gone from a guy, as a sophomore going into that year, you felt like, okay, he's going to become – once Buckner graduates, he's going to become that next elite Oregon defensive lineman behind Eric Armstead, Bal- Alex Balducci, and then DeForest Buckner. Maybe not at the same level as those guys, but he's going to be really good. He's going to be in the NFL in four years. And then after his junior year, when it was his turn to carry the team last year on defense, he really struggled. I mean, I, I don't think he had much of an impact uh, statistically. And then also, off, you know, outside of the box score, he was a guy that – Made some plays here and there, but he wasn't, you know, a guy, oh my gosh, this guy is a star. This is a really good player. He's kind of revitalized his potential, his chances of getting to the NFL. Because you look at his stats, and yeah, there's there's not a lot of tackles, there's not a lot of sacks. But go watch him and just focus on him on a couple plays. He's getting double teamed, he's dominating, he's helping stuff in the run. And a big reason why Jalen Jelks or Troy Dye or Justin Hollins or Jonah Moy are getting all these tackles is because they're getting off great, but at the same time, we're also seeing Henry Mondu just collapse the pocket and force the quarterback or force the running back out of the picture. So this defense is going to have to carry the load, and up front, we're going to have to see some guys elevate themselves. We said the same thing about Cal last week. It's going to be tough to get to the quarterback because they get the ball out quick. Well, exactly. they got to Bowers pretty, pretty early and often and throughout the game. That's going to have to continue for this one as well.
1: Question here from Jonathan Charles. Uh, sorry for not – We love the questions you guys have asked, we've already kind of answered or touched uh, on a little bit. But Jonathan Charles asks, so are Washington State's blitz packages similar to Arizona State's exotic blitz, pa- blitz packages? And then second part, is the Oregon defense going to just leave five in the box and use the other six for uh, for passing defense? Um, I don't think that they're necessarily the same exotic nature of blitzes, but they are very aggressive in blitzing. Um their linebackers are, are pretty often sent, um, like we've said, that, that front is extremely athletic um, and, and spends a lot of time in the backfield. Because you have those smaller guys, they basically have linebackers playing at the end. Yeah. So they're small athletic guys. They, they get in the backfield. They, they cause a lot of problems. They do a lot of stunting. They do a lot mm-hmm. of twists. Um,
0: and on top of that, look, we've seen this Oregon team across the board, offense, defense, special teams, be very sloppy. Uh, they've committed a lot of turnovers. And you'll notice Washington State – just before the snap, when they think it, it, the snap is coming in a couple of seconds, their entire defensive line does kind of like a shift. Mm-hmm. And that's A, to present a different front and show the true defense and, and really make the quarterback, oh, my God, things just changed a little bit. Do I got to change things again? And then B, it's to, in a way, induce false starts mm-hmm. because an offensive lineman is going to see the entire defensive line Slide over all one gap, you know, once or twice a game, they're hoping an offensive lineman's gonna shoot off his, off his stance thinking the ball had been snapped. Now it's gonna help that this game's at Oregon, there's not much of sound issues you're gonna have. Right. But at the same time, Oregon's gonna need to be sound there too. They can't just, you know, they can't get sloppy because they're going to try and get them get false starts out of the duck
1: offense. And I, I think one thing that got lost in, with all the injuries last week is Oregon did have issues with the penalties once again. I believe 10 penalties for 100 yards. uh That's something they have to clean up. I think they remain one of the most penalized teams, not only in the conference, but in the country. The uh, second part of that question is Oregon defense going to leave just five in the box and other five. I, I don't think so. I think they will remain pretty aggressive. Um, with that said. Lamar we'll, Winston is going to have to have a big game. Yeah, the duck linebacker is going to be playing a lot more just because of. Actually, I asked – I think it was Foto about this before. I said, oh, when you guys play Washington State, because you mentioned that these Duck players play a lot on passing. now, you are going to play the whole game. He goes, oh, yeah. He was like, yeah, we're, I'm ready for that. I have circled that one. So, yeah, expect to see a lot of that Duck linebacker position. Um, I think they're going to remain aggressive in terms of blitzing Falk because he's a guy you don't want to just give a – you don't want to just have an open pocket back there and just kind of sit and yeah, – The and, worst
0: thing for the Cougar offense and your your defense is Lou Falk having a ton of time. Yeah, he, And he's – also not the most mobile guy. He's not. I mean, he can he can get that three yard first down, but it's gonna be lumbering <coughs> and it's gonna take him a while to get there uh scramble. And so I, I would I would put my money if Justin Hollins and Jonah Moy can get off the edge at a consistent basis, they're gonna hit him a lot. They might not sack him, but they're gonna hit him a lot. And we should also note that some of it's because of how many times they throw the football. Um, at the same time. Their quarterbacks take a pounding. I think every year
1: Luke Falk has gotten hurt that he's, you know, he started. Well, well, actually, that was interesting. When I did my my, my look at the the injuries and all that stuff, Washington State's had the most injuries with quarterbacks. Jeff Toole had the worst luck ever back there for Washington State. He missed, he played three games over the course of two seasons, and the second one was career ending. So and I think Luke what, what, Falk got his start as a as a redshirt freshman because the quarterback ahead of him, Hunter exactly got hurt yeah, and was, was done yeah, for exactly. the year. So yeah, so the, the, they do have injury issues. Um, it'll be interesting to see if, if or I'm not saying what, or, them to hurt Luke Falk, but be interesting to see if they can get, kind of create some issues for him up and, front. And
0: one other thing about this Cougar team is that you think of Luke, you you think of this Mike Leach airway and offense. Oh, five wide receivers, they're going to throw the ball all over the place, and that's true, but. They use their running backs mm-hmm. a ton in the passing game, yeah. and their running backs <laughs> are pretty physical, and so you don't want, you know, in a one-on-one situation, a cornerback having to try and come up and make a big tackle against a bruising running back, because believe it or not, they got some guys that are pretty powerful. They're not Royce Freemans, uh, but they've got power, and so you're going to need a, a linebacker or two, and this is a case where Troy Die at inside linebacker makes a ton of sense, because He's very athletic, he's mm-hmm. very mobile, he's very good in pass coverage, but he also can wrap up and make big tackles individually. And in the duck position, Lamar, Winston, and Foto, Liatu, they're gonna be, they're gonna have to be critical in this game. Could
1: also be a game where having no Kalana, Kalana Apolu or AJ Hodgkins and putting Blake Rubrapp out there could be difficult just cause yes. the athletic has just changed there. Uh, question here from Steven Ebers. Late to, late to the show, have you guys covered anything on recruiting? And then also, welcome back, Eric. Well, it's good to be back, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Um, We have not talked about recruiting yet. That's Uh, That's perfect. That's a good transition. Yeah, to what we we do have a a number of notes on who will be here. Also, a a visitor that was here yesterday. That's pretty noteworthy. Maybe we should lead off with that.
0: Yeah, Tyler Show, uh, four-star quarterback, Elite Eleven participant at Nike is the opening. I think he finished seventh uh, overall in the country for the Elite Eleven competition. Uh, Currently committed North Carolina out of Hamilton High School in Chandler, Arizona. He was here for a one-day, unofficial visit Wednesday morning through the evening. Uh, they left today, Thursday. Uh, they had to drive north to Portland to catch their flight. Um, I've put in a crystal ball for Oregon to flip him when that happens. Kind of up to debate, but he had told me uh, last night when he wrapped up his visit that he basically wants to go home, talk things over with his entire family, um, and kind of have some kind of an idea of what is the next step. And to me, he the way he explained it was the next step is either remaining committed to North Carolina, decommitting from North Carolina, and then considering the, the Tar Heels in Oregon, or just straight up flipping. Because he he basically said, I'm not really looking at any other schools. It's kind of just Oregon and North Carolina. I've had you know other schools have had plenty of opportunities. Uh, to, to, recruit me in, you know, Oregon and in North Carolina really the only ones that are still doing it. Um, he, he, really, he said he really liked North Carolina, but he also wants to make sure that's the best place because he committed very early, uh, to, to the Tar Heels, uh, in that process. So huge news for huge Oregon news. because they need a quarterback. They yep. need one really, really bad. And, you know, they've gone after Cameron Rising, a Texas commit from California, a four star quarterback. They've gone after, uh, Carson, uh, Yankoff, Colson Yankoff, excuse me, mm-hmm. after he actually decommitted from Oregon because he was committed to Mark Kelpich's staff. Um, but headway with Yankoff is not going anywhere. And then on top of that, Cameron Rising, you know, while we've reported it and I still feel strongly that he's very serious about, fl- you know, flipping his commitment to Oregon, we've been talking about this for weeks, going months. on, going on months. Yes, yeah, we have. Mm-hmm. And it's getting to that point where Oregon's going to say, hey, we need to know. Uh, is this going to be, you know, we're investing a lot of our resources, a lot of our time, um, recruiting you when we could be going after other guys. Is this still a legitimate option? And I think bringing in Taylor Show is a huge shot across the bow at, Carson, at Cameron Rising saying, Hey, we like you. We want you. We need you, but we can find someone else too right. who can do just as good as you. And here he
1: is. If you, I mean, if you just, if you were to add, Show to the group right now. Oregon, I believe, has a four-star commitment from every position group besides quarterback and tight end. And I consider Oregon's tight ends to—I mean, they're really good. Th- th- that's a, those are four-star talents there. I mean, um, and so you add—if you added show—that would be basically a four-star prospect at every single position, which is pretty remarkable. Um, you know, in terms of just adding depth across the board, not only that, but you see what happens when you only have two scholarship quarterbacks, like right now. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a problem. You, you do not want to go through a full season next year with just Braxton Burmeister just and Justin Herbert, and then you also remove Taylor Alley, and the next quarterback is either Dimitri Vert, who's a converted wide receiver, or Mike, or Mike Irwin, who's a walk-on from Lake, Lake Ridge. So they need a quarterback. Tyler Show is a very good quarterback, one of the better arm talents we saw up at the opening. Certainly exciting news. We also have, I believe, a list of the guys who will be on campus, and the headliner for this one's pretty exciting, too. Yeah, so there's
0: five current commits, uh, most of those guys have basically been here the entire, you know, every week. Yeah. The, the regular group. Braden, Lindsay, T, Quintarino, uh, D- Dawson Jalomo is making his first visit here as a commit, um, unofficial visit, uh, Travis Dye, a running back commit, Javon Holland's already been here once, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, four-star safety, uh, but the big one for 2018 is last week they had Penny Sewell, their top offensive line target for 2018. Devin Williams, Oregon's top receiver target and a five-star prospect. Big time. Uh, is going to be here for not an official but an unofficial, which correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, this is his third trip It is to Eugene since the spring game, I believe, on his own dime. He, he's And that's huge to me because – Devin Williams, you don't need to say anymore, five star receiver. Oregon needs taller receivers. He's six foot five, one of the most athletic kids in the country. Um, he was at one point rated as the number one athlete in the country before he <clears throat> shifted full time to receiver going into his senior season. And he's quickly moved up the pecking order for 24 seven sports at receiver as well on the big board there. Um, he's not the number one receiver, but he's pretty damn close. And this is a, a marquee game, and you've got the opportunity now to bring him in for an official visit in probably six weeks.
1: I was going to say, I mean, I think the, the, the big thing here is it's an unofficial leaving the door open for an official visit to take place later. And secondly, from a physical standpoint, this guy looks like Julio Jones. I mean, someone in that kind of body type. He's six foot five, super lean really athletic, really fast. This is a big-time athlete, That guy who probably comes in next year if he does end up at Oregon and could lead the team in a lot, basically could lead the team in receiving, I mean, theoretically. I mean, he is he is that type of talent. Oregon is pretty thin outside. They do not have tall receivers. They've already got a number of tall guys committed in this class in Warren Thompson and Miles Battle. You throw Devin Williams into the group, and then you've got three big, tall, physical guys on the outside, and that completely changes things from what we've seen this year. And then you're, you're basically operating with pro, pro type of talent in terms yeah. of just the size and body types. Uh,
0: and then from a basketball perspective, uh, we know of just one official visitor. That's Erica Yala, uh, top, I think top 60 recruit mm-hmm. uh, in the country. He's <clears throat> a combo guard. You can play point guard, shooting guard. Think Tyler Dorsey, essentially. Yeah. Um, similar role, you know, good shooter, good distributor, good ball handler, uh, good defender on the wing. Um uh, and this is coming off the heels of Oregon having their biggest recruiting weekend in probably program history when they had Bull Bull, the number three ranked prospect in the country, a five star player, and Emmett Williams, a top 25 star recruit. And then also they had uh, Will Richardson, who was a top 50 recruit <laughs> on campus.
1: Flew completely under, was the radar. under the radar. Oregon had like a top. I thought that was astounding. Oregon had a top fifty recruit on campus, and it was kind of like, oh, oh yeah, oh, he's here, he's too. here too. Like what? Like oh, most, well, most years that would be like we'd be talking about this on the board all day, and no one really mentioned it. And then the week
0: earlier in the week last week, Oregon also had RJ Barrett, the number one recruit in the in the class of 2018 out of Canada, <laughs> for an official visit. And shortly after that, he canceled his his Michigan visit. Yeah. He eliminated both the Wolverines. And the Arizona Wildcats and is now down to Duke and Kentucky and Oregon. So Oregon's basket, Oregon's football is, is still, you know, they've still got a couple more games for home games to have official visits. They've got multiple spots left to fill for the 2018 class. Mm-hmm. Oregon basketball starting to hit that home stretch where signing day now is about a month away. Yeah, it's I, think, a month away. I think it's November 8th yeah, is the date exactly a month the away. Day it starts. Uh, and they've got kind of their primary guys. And what do you know? They're all basically five-star prospects or top 50 recruits in the country. Mm-hmm. So both programs in that crucial junction of recruiting.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, I talked about it, I think, before the season started for football that Oregon has a very good chance of signing its best football recruiting class and its best basketball recruiting class in program history all in the same year. That's pretty outstanding. Uh, Sonny Olson says, what's up with, and didn't finish the thought. Sonny, if you want to finish that thought, we'll answer that one in a second here. Well, I mean, what's up? We're, what's up? What's we're, up? What's up? <laughs> We're just sitting here. We're just, we're just kicking it. Um, we uh, s- Basketball Media Day tomorrow. Yes.
0: And to, to kind of wrap things up, again, if you're listening to us on Facebook Live, uh, go drop your questions because we're starting to wrap things up here. Uh, if you listen to us on the podcast and you want to know how you can interact with us live while we record these, all you got to do is just go to facebook.com slash Oregon 247, like our page, and you'll get notifications on your phone, on your computer, on your tablet, um, of when we go live, uh, to do these recordings. And so, if you got questions, go ahead, drop them in the comments section. Because if we don't see them by the time we wrap things up here in a couple of minutes, uh, we're going to wrap the entire podcast up. Uh, but starting on Friday, depending on when you listen to this podcast, it could be Thursday night, it could be Friday morning, mm-hmm. um, Friday afternoon. Oregon basketball hosts their first official media session, and there's a lot of intrigue for on the court, and there's a lot of intrigue in this. Off court. You know, I'm sure Dana Altman's gonna be asked about the FBI investigation because they were recruiting a guy who (coughs) took money. Right. You know, there's no
1: not from Oregon. Not from
0: Oregon. There's no proof that Oregon was involved, and I don't think there's going to be proof because we'd have known by now. But nonetheless, Oregon has a tie to a guy who got a head coach fired, got an athletic director fired, and has helped spurn an FBI investigation into college basketball across the country.
1: yeah.
0: Um, so I'm sure that's going to be brought up. And then uh, more importantly, because I don't think that's going to be that big of a story here, at least um, from what we know. One would hope not. One would hope not. Um, on the court, there's also going to be a ton of questions yeah. because you look at last year's roster. Dylan Brooks is gone. Jordan Bell has gone. Dylan Ennis is gone. Tyler Dorsey has gone. Cavell Bigby-Williams is gone. Chris Boucher. Chris Boucher is gone. Uh, Casey Benson is gone. Casey Benson is gone. You have to
1: use basically both hands to count how many guys <laughs> are not on we, the got,
0: team. We've got seven guys out of the eight who basically predominantly played yeah. last year on the Final Four team. All gone. Yeah. Some of them graduated. Some of them declared early for the NBA draft and have Couple since transfers. found themselves on NBA rosters. And two players have decided to transfer. And you've got Peyton Pritchard going with the, uh, <laughs> hey guys, <laughs> where'd everybody go? <laughs> um, so, but in comes five-star Troy Brown. In comes two graduate transfers and Elijah Brown, and who's not Troy Brown's brother. He's not. He's the son of Mike Brown, the former uh, Lakers head coach, Cleveland Cavaliers head coach, He's now the Golden State Warriors head assistant guy that replaced Steve Kerr when he was out with his back injuries. Um, Elijah was an All-Mountain West Conference player two years in a row uh, for the Lobos. He's a graduate transfer. You've got Mikeo McIntosh, another graduate transfer who's going to remind people a lot of whether he likes it or not, Dylan Brooks, because I heard he doesn't like that comparison. Um, and then both Canadian, both well, six
1: seven two twenty, yeah.
0: And then you've also got you know Kenny Wooten. You, you've got B J Bailey, two four star prospects that were freshmen, uh, top one hundred recruits that are both now in this program. You've got M J Cage, who was also a four star recruit, who's coming off a redshirt last season. He had concussion and basically knocked his, his chances of having any hope of, of playing um, last season because of depth. Uh, and then you've also got Paul White. And Abu Kijab. Oh, Abu Kijab, another guy who was a three-star and really just shut things entirely down, Mm -hmm. um, early on in the process. And, you know, I've been told by his high school coach, by his AAU coach, uh, by Oregon coaches when he signed, if he had gone uncommitted in November and played his senior season as, as a non-committed prospect, Everyone in the country would have offered him a prospect, uh, offered him a scholarship. He played for Canada's national U-19 team that won the World Cup gold medal, not absolutely destroyed Team USA mm-hmm. uh, in the semifinals. He was a key part of that team. He's a freshman at the University of Oregon, and he's going to remind a lot of people of Dylan Brooks as well, um, just because of his fire and his emotion. Um, He's gonna have a very, very similar. And he's Canadian. He's also Canadian, can play multiple positions in his 6'7", uh, just like Dylan Brooks. Uh, and then on top of that, there's Paul White, Mm -hmm. who is at one point a top 50 recruit who got hurt at Georgetown and transferred to Oregon last season and had to sit out and is now healthy. And then, (coughs) uh, last but not least, there's also Roman Sorkin, who at least early on, every season has looked like you know a solid piece. So and Keith Smith and Key Smith, I, I forgot Key Smith. There's a lot of guys, a four-star guy that was a top 100 recruit and had knee problems last year. And, but I think if there was one guy who you could take a snapshot, a three or four-minute snapshot of the entire season and have the most excitement about, it's Key Smith because in that Final Four game against That's North great. Carolina, he had to come in when Dylan Brooks fouled out with a couple with about four or five minutes left. And completely flipped the game. And I think if there had been more time in that, in that game when Keith Smith came in, Oregon probably would have won because Keith Smith was playing just tenacious defense and really changed the game. Or Oregon just ran out of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just another topic down the road, but he's also back for his sophomore season. So a lot of new faces for this Oregon basketball team.
1: Ceiling's nowhere near as high. I don't think anyone's going to mistake this for a, a top five, final four team, at least not to begin with. If I eight, don't, I
0: mean, it's... I, I
1: I'm not sitting here saying they're going to make the Final Four. But
0: on paper, this is Dana Altman's most talented team.
1: could probably make that argument, yeah.
0: It, it, it's true. I, I mean, I, I know. I have facts on my side. Oh, okay, right? man. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you go and you look at the rankings of these guys when they signed with Oregon or when they were coming out of high school right. or junior college, what have you. This is the most talented team Dana Altman has, has put together yet at Oregon. The question becomes, how quickly do they mesh and how quickly uh, and how many losses does it take for them to get to that point where they're playing at a high level? All right.
1: right, let's. Go. We do have, uh, looks like, four questions here, and we'll jump through these really quick. Two of them are injury-related. Um, first one's about Dylan Mitchell. Is it a head or a chest injury? And then the second part is, will Royce Freeman start this weekend?
0: We've heard concussion, um, but, you know... Not going to really speculate on what right. ki- what kind of an injury, you know, just with what we've heard. I wouldn't anticipate Mitchell playing this week.
1: And Royce Freeman? I he think practiced- he practiced yesterday. He
0: practiced yesterday. I think he's going to be a game time decision. And I think it's very close.
1: Two, que- just two questions that are recruiting questions. Jonathan Charles asked how Bull Bull's visit went. And then second one, Scott Condit asks if we think Oregon will pick up a commitment in either sport this weekend. I think
0: from what I've heard from Bull Bull, Oregon's visit went about as perfectly as it could. Um my concern is they were the first visit. Mm-hmm. Can you capture like that? Yeah. Can you can you capture that excitement and then keep it there for six more weeks. Um five more weeks. He's got a sign in November. He's got four other visits he's got to take. Now the positive is two of the other four schools he's planning on visiting are schools currently being investigated by the FBI in Arizona and in USC. His mom actually did a, an interview with uh, SEC network or SEC country.com. It's the, it's like a USA Today national, uh, media outlet that covers SEC sports. And because he's looking at Kentucky, uh, they reached out to Bobo and Bobo's mother actually confirmed that they've got serious doubts and serious concerns with Arizona and with USC because yeah. of the FBI investigation. And I think yes, they should, you know, and I think it's very safe to say that those two programs are probably sweating. Bullets here, hoping that they can get him on campus. If he doesn't get on campus uh, with with Arizona and USC, Oregon's chances skyrocket. Because I think Arizona was going into this whole deal the favorite because proximity, Sean Miller, um, Arizona reputation. And then on top of that, Sharif O'Neal, Shaquille O'Neal's son is also AAU teammate's with Bull, Bull Close friend of Bull, Bull He's currently committed to Arizona Sharif O'Neill said that They're going to wait things out Before they decide What they're going to do yeah. Um But It's at least It's it's hurt Arizona's chances I, I I don't think USC was A real major player But they're local Yeah For Bull, Bull. And then on top of that Oh well there's Kentucky They're You know C- Kentucky's going to get them There's also UCLA I, I just don't think <coughs> UCLA fits With Steve Alford's offense Um but with Kentucky, there was kind of a rift between John Calipari and Bobo because Calipari allegedly, reportedly, had told Bobo he was guaranteed basically to make Team USA's U19 World Cup team uh, this summer and Calipari cut him. <laughs> and that really miffed Bobo and that miffed his family. And so there's, you know, he's visiting that school officially and it's, there's going to be need to be some welding of you know motions there. Uh, but we'll see. You know, I, I think Oregon's got a legit chance. I think probably they're the favorite right now. Um, but are they going to be the favorite in four weeks after he's seen four other schools? That's going to be the big question.
1: Second question, Do we think are we expecting a commitment this weekend? I would say probably not for basketball, right? Probably
0: not for basketball. Um, Emmett Williams is seeing LSU this weekend. He might commit sometime shortly after that. Yeah. Um, Eric Ayala might commit this weekend to Oregon. Um, he was at Maryland last weekend, and um, Maryland shot their shot and missed. Uh, they were really hoping to get him to pull the trigger while here. He very may well go in and commit to the Terrapins uh, in a couple weeks, but it's basically down to Oregon and Maryland now. Uh, Syracuse got a big commitment at Combo Guard, who was the, kind of the third school in the picture for Erica Yala. Um, <coughs> from a football perspective, maybe Tyler Show goes home and decides, hey, you know what, but I think that's going to be – Two, three, four weeks down the road yeah. um, until that decision is, is, is really finally made. So probably not, but it, would, it wouldn't shock me, though.
1: Probably more likely a basketball guy than a football guy, more think? likely think?
0: I think more likely than a, a basketball guy than a football guy. That's very, very easy to say.
1: And that's all we got for questions.
0: Yeah, that's going to do it for us. So, again, thank you for listening to the Duck Territory Podcast. Um, go to Facebook.com slash Oregon247 to like us on Facebook. If you're listening to us on Facebook. You've obviously done that. If you're not, that's how you can get in, listen to these podcasts live. That's how you can interact with us, ask Eric and I questions during the show. And then it also gives you uh, access to us when we go on Facebook Live, post-game, pre-game, post-practice, post-practice, you know, media day, Facebook Lives, what what have you. We do these all the time. Um, and then also, as always, go to DuckTerritory.com uh, for all your Oregon football, Oregon basketball, Oregon recruiting uh, needs, your questions. We've got... Tons of stuff up. I think we had like 15 things up that were basically original content from us that weren't aggregation, uh, on thir- on Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday throughout the day. Um, it was a good and, day. And we average quite a bit. You're, you're going to subscribe to us and you're not going to get one or two articles a day. You're going to get four or five, six things a day on the site, uh, and pretty much all of it's original content as well. So go to duckterritory.com for all your Oregon football needs and basketball and recruiting needs. And until we talk to you, We'll probably talk Friday from Oregon Basketball Media Day. Yeah. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.